Um, if I could invite David up, uh, he's going to be preaching for us tonight. We started a series um, which is based on really getting to know Jesus better. So David, let me pray for you. And I'm going to pray some, some words from Scripture, from, again from Peter preaching, but this time a few chapters later, chapter 10. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Lord, we want to thank you that tonight David gets to proclaim King Jesus, who went around with the power of God with him, doing good and bringing healing. We pray for a revelation of Jesus' heart, not just through his earthly ministry then, but through his ongoing ministry by the Spirit today, because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So may the power of your Holy Spirit anoint David's words and open our hearts to receive them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, good to see you. Great to be with you again. Um, so, it's been quite quite a week, hasn't it? I don't know how you've how you've found it, and uh, it's probably um, it's probably a little bit above my pay grade to try and say anything sort of authoritative about Queen Elizabeth. But I think I'd be on safe ground to say that um, of everything that's being said about her, I think it's quite obvious to say that one of the things that has stood out about her. Um, was her just amazing consistency of character, right from the time of being a kind of young volunteer in the Second World War to her 90s, um, that she had these values of um, public service and duty and so on. And, and we knew that, we, and we could see that. And as a result, um, we, kind of, we felt we knew her. We kind of felt we knew the kind of things she'd do. We knew that she would keep serving, she'd keep going, she'd keep um, doing what she was called to do to the best of her ability, uh, but she wouldn't necessarily kind of seek attention or um, step beyond what she was called to. So after 70 years, um, we had this kind of um, sense of reassurance, didn't we, that kind of we knew her, we knew, we knew what her values were, and as a result, we knew um, how she would act out of that, what her character and actions would be. Um, so can I ask, um, we felt we knew Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, um, but what about... Uh, what about God? Do you feel like you know um, who God is? At times, not, I mean, we know who God is, but I mean, his kind of his, his core character, his kind of values, if you like, the things that, that drive him, um, his heart, if you like, um, so that um, we know and we can be confident how he will act out of that character. Not that we can put boundaries on God and tell him what he's going to do, but you know what I mean. We, kind of, we know his character, so we know the kind of things he will do. Um, and that's, that's a different kind of question in a sense of knowing a human being. But it's an important question. And the other question is, like, how, how would we know? Um, how would actually we actually know God's character, what, what he's really like? Well, somebody once said to me that uh, maybe the most interesting and important question in the Christian faith is not, um, is Jesus God? Okay? Because hopefully, I would say probably 99% or more of us are agreed that Jesus um, is God. Okay? If anyone's not agreed on that fact, um, come and talk to me. Maybe we'll do an Alpha course or something. That, that question was settled in kind of the early, early stages of church history, that Jesus 
um, is God. Um, so in a sense, the more interesting question is, um, is God Jesus? Okay, is God Jesus? Um, obviously, um, we believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What I mean is, is God um, defined totally by Jesus and uh, in terms of his character and what God is like? And I, be- I believe he is. I believe God is Jesus. And I believe that's what the Bible says. Um, in John's Gospel, towards the end, there's one of the disciples that, that comes to Jesus and says, he says, like, Lord, um, just show us the Father. And that will be enough. Just, 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 just show us, just show the, I'm paraphrasing slightly, um, just show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus replies, um, kind of, don't you get it? Don't you get it? The one who's seen me has seen the Father. Okay, so Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. In other words, the Son and the Father are the same in character and purpose and personality and so on. He says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So in other words, if we've seen Jesus, and if we've kind of got to the heart of Jesus, then we have seen and we've understood God, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in totality. Um, later on in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. Okay, that sounds pretty definite to me. Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. And uh, another way to say that, um, as Paul gave a good quote last week, which is this, that God is Christ-like, and in him there is no unchrist-likeness at all. So I said again, God is Christ-like, and in him there is no unchrist-likeness at all. And so whether you agree with that or not, I guess probably most of you do, but if you agree with that or not, the problem is if you take an alternative view that you want to define God by something else, by, I don't know, instinct or reasoning or philosophy or inherited tradition or something, then you're at risk of defining God by something else other than what the Bible says about Jesus. And we don't want to be doing that. That's a risky thing to do. But if we capture the heart and the character and the motivation, the core um, kind of motivations of Jesus, then we'll have a kind of heart uh, view right into the heart of God himself. And that will have massive implications for how we live, uh, whether we realize it or not. Um, somebody called A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And if that's true, then our, our deepest assumptions about who we really deep down think God is is going to shape our lives um, whether we know that or not. And so that's what we're doing at the moment. We're, looking, we're going through a series looking at kind of the heart of Jesus, like who was he at his heart, uh, at his core, and, um, and so on. And last week we looked about how uh, Jesus, um, when he speaks about his heart, he says he is gentle and humble in heart. The only time he actually talks about his heart, that's what he says. And that means that Jesus is, uh, as a humble person, um, as a lowly person, he's accessible He's approachable, he's welcoming, he's inclusive, and he reaches out to those who have burdens. Um, you don't have to unburden yourself to come to Jesus, just come to him with your burdens as you, as you are. So this week, we're going to look at uh, going into a bit further about if we come to somebody, if we come to Jesus, who is gentle and humble in heart, uh, then what do we experience? What, what, what kind of happens? What will his interactions be with us? Uh, if you know, he's humble in heart, you know, what, what do we experience as an outworking of his character to us? And uh, our passage today is from Matthew chapter 8. We're going to read from uh, Matthew chapter 8 in just a minute. Uh, but just to explain the context, um, in Matthew chapter 4, 
Uh, Matthew gives us an overview of Jesus' ministry, what it's looking like. So in Matthew chapter 4, it says that, um, as a general description of that, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and disease among the people. So that's kind of a general description that Matthew gives of what Jesus was doing in general. Okay? And then in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, Jesus goes up the mountain and he delivers this uh, amazing sermon on the mount. If you've never read Matthew chapter 5 to 7, uh, you can go home now and read it. Don't listen to me. That's the most amazing teaching. Um, But assuming you have, um, then we get to Matthew chapter 8. And Jesus comes down from the mountain and we see his first interactions with individuals. Okay, in the, in the New Testament, we're going to get his first sense of how he interacts with individuals specifically. And um, it's a bit like maybe when, um, when Charles came, when he came from the airport in his car and he got to Buckingham Palace and he was the king. And, uh, you know, we wanted to see, like, how, what's he going to do? How is he going to interact with individuals? And he got out of his car and he was greeting people and it was, and it was good. I liked it. <laughs> so, um, so this is a bit like Jesus. Like he, he's, what's he going to do when he interacts with people. So I'm reading from Matthew chapter 8, uh, verse 1. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, just this to verse 5. And it says this, that when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out with his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So this man with uh, leprosy, uh, leprosy then, as it is now in some countries, is, um, of course, a terrible, destructive disease. Um, It's completely isolating. It's like a kind of a long, slow death. Uh, within those days, uh, no hope, no hope of change, no hope of uh, anything good, in a sense, happening to him. So he comes to Jesus in a state of uh, desperation and need, with no other hope in the world. And he, uh, he bows down and he calls Jesus Lord, which is, by the way, a pretty good way to approach Jesus. And Jesus' reaction uh, is this, that he says, um, I am willing That's what Jesus says, Jesus, I'm willing to to help you, to heal you, to make you clean. And in Mark's gospel, uh, it also says that Jesus was moved with compassion and said, I am willing. And so when Jesus says he's willing, it's not just kind of willy-wonty kind of situation. It's like like saying, this is Jesus saying, this is my deepest uh, heart's desire uh, to show compassion to you, to heal you in this um, circumstance. And again, And again, as you read through the Gospels, you just get the sense of how Jesus had compassion for people. He had compassion on individuals, had compassion on the crowds. You read things like, um, he saw the crowds and had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Um, He had compassion on her and said, do not weep. You know, you kind of get these descriptions all the time of what Jesus is like. He has compassion on people, um, and especially on moral and social outsiders, the unloved and undeserving, the people who others find it difficult to love. And the kind of compassion Jesus had, um, apparently the original word has to do with your bowels or your guts. So it wasn't a kind of sentimental compassion, like from the very core of his being, like right within him, he wanted to show compassion to people from the very center of who he was. 
um, and he couldn't stop himself responding to the needs he saw in front of him. Okay, so a question at this point. You might be saying, well, okay, um, I get that. I, I kind of understand that. But um, I've been praying for something for a while, maybe for healing, maybe for something else. And um, it hasn't happened yet. Um, I haven't been healed uh, like this man in the Gospels. Um, and um, that's a hard question to answer. I can't answer that um, exactly. But what I can say is that we're talking about God's um, compassion in the biggest sense, rather than answers to specific prayers. And that compassion can be experienced, whether you experience your direct prayers being answered or not. And just as one example, I want to read a story of somebody who visited um, a leprosy colony in Nepal. And his experience is there. It's a guy called Philip Yancey. And he goes to this um, uh, leprosy rehabilitation centre in Nepal in the last few years. And he sees... Um, a woman who is just horribly disfigured by leprosy. She's all bandaged up, and I think her kind of a nose is coming off and everything. And, um, she, and she kind of drags herself around on her elbows. So this is a, a modern-day uh, sufferer of, of leprosy. And I'll just read a short passage. This, this is what he, he says on experiencing this woman. He says, um, I'm ashamed to say my first thought was, um, she's a beggar and she wants money. My wife um, had a much more holy reaction Without hesitation, she bent down to the woman and put her arm around her. The old woman rested her head against Janet's shoulder and began singing a song in the poorly, uh, a tune that we all instantly recognized. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And then the physical therapist explained that um, Dan Meyer, I think she, what she was called, is one of our most devoted church members. Most of our patients are Hindus, but we have a little Christian chapel here and Dan Maya comes every time the door opens. She's a prayer warrior. She loves to greet and welcome every visitor who comes to Green Pastures. And no doubt she heard us talking as we walked along the corridor. And then a few, um, it goes on to so say, a few months later we heard that Dan Maya had died. Um, close to my desk I keep a photo that I just snapped as she was singing to Janet. Um, out of that deformed hollow shell of a body, the light of God's presence shines out. The Holy Spirit had found a home. So I can't tell you exactly why um, that woman in the pool wasn't healed of leprosy as a follower of Jesus, and um, the man in the Gospels was. That's not for me to say, but I can say that both of them experienced the compassion of God and the presence of God and the Holy Spirit very powerfully. And this idea of God as... Um, compassion, compassionate, um, shouldn't, shouldn't surprise us. In any case, obviously Jesus um, exemplified that to the more than anything. But um, right through the Old Testament, um, when you hear God described, he's described as compassionate. Um, in Exodus 34, you get this kind of description, which is repeated again and again. When the Lord appears to Moses, and um, it says this is from Exodus uh, chapter 34, um, the Lord passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, um, compassionate, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Um, and that, that is a description of God repeated again and again through the Old Testament. And the first word used is compassionate. Compassionate, that's what God is. Um, he defines his glory by his goodness and his compassion. And he is slow to anger. Um, 
We often think of God as maybe being quick to anger and slow to show compassion, but it's the opposite. He's quick to show compassion and slow to anger. Uh, You can, maybe if you try really hard, you can probably provoke God to anger, but you don't provoke him to show compassion. Uh, That's who he is uh, in his heart. So do you believe um, that God, um, revealed by Jesus in his deepest heart towards you, is compassionate, uh, compassionate for you? Is that how we think of God? Um, sometimes we think of him as a kind of on a spectrum, don't we, between sort of compassion and, and anger. And, you know, he could kind of tip either way, depending on how he's feeling or what we have done or haven't done that day. Um, but his, it's not like that. His deepest desire is to be compassionate uh, to you in your situation, whatever that might be. Um, and he is uh, ready and willing to do so. So he is willing. He is willing to show compassion to you. Um, and not only is he willing, but he is willing to show compassion to you personally. This is not just a general thing. This is about you personally. And it's interesting the way isn't it, that he heals this uh, this leper, because we, we know that sometimes Jesus healed people at distance, doesn't he? He just said to somebody, you're healed, uh, and he doesn't actually have to touch people. But Jesus um, heals this leper by, by touching him. And to touch a leper, uh, according to Jewish law, is a violation of the law. In fact, you weren't even allowed to go within six foot of a leper and further if kind of the wind was blowing in the wrong direction. So legally speaking, you had to keep away from these people because it was, it was to defile. If you touch a leper, it was defiling. As much as touching a dead body... To touch a leper in those days was a kind of defiling um, thing for you. Um, and yet Jesus um, comes close to this man and touches him. I suppose you could say technically he didn't break the law because the moment he touched the man, he was healed. But the point being that he healed this man uh, in a way that I guess would have meant most to him. This man would have been isolated and uh, nobody would have touched him for years. But Jesus comes and puts his hand on them on him and heals him. So in other words, you could say Jesus can't help uh, moving towards us, moving towards us, touching, um, embracing us, uh, especially those who deserve it the least. Um, it's just what flows from him, what most naturally he can't help it. That's what he does. Uh, somebody says this, he uh, says that when Jesus sees the fallenness of the world around him, all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct, is to move towards that sin and suffering, not away from it. It's to, it's to move towards our sin and suffering, not away from it. Um, so if you, to, is that how you feel about God? That's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? We think God kind of moves away from us in our, in our worst situations. But that's not right. He, Jesus comes close. He comes close to us. He moves towards us. Uh, so is that how you feel about God, that he's ready and willing to move towards you uh, right now exactly as you are? In whatever sin or brokenness or situation you're in, he's ready to move towards you. Uh, and he's reaching out to you and he, he's wanting to um, embrace us. Um, so he's willing to show compassion to us and compassion to us personally, just as we, we need it. Um, human monarchy can be a good thing. I understand that Charles's charities have done lots of good things, but ultimately human monarchy will always be distant, won't it, just because they're, they're humans in an institution. Um, but Jesus is up close 
and personal, um, if you want him to be, which I believe we do. He's right there with us. He's up close and personal. So he's willing to show compassion to us, very willing. He's ready. Um, he's like a kind of a, a dam of compassion, ready to burst. We don't have to kind of, uh, there's nothing uh, we need to, to wait for. He is ready. Um, and he's ready to do that for us personally. And he's ready to do that for us um, completely. And that's what he does for this leper. That he, At the end of the, the passage, he um, asks the leper to go and see the priests to, uh, so the priest can make an offering for him so he can be sort of declared as healed. And that would mean he could be reinstated in society. So Jesus wants this man not only to be healed, but to be publicly declared as healed and to be um, kind of completely reinstated back into um, community relations, which he would have been excluded from um, previously. So Jesus wants a complete reinstatement and restoration of this, of this man. And, um, and that's ultimately what God's compassion is for us too. It's not just a kind of doing a few nice things here and there. He wants completely to, to restore us, um, to save us. That's what, means, that's what salvation means. It means to be kind of made whole and restored so we can live uh, with God our Father um, in the new creation and the new earth um, without fear, without shame, uh, as truly human as truly sons and daughters of God. So he wants to save us uh, and show us compassion completely, but that compassion came at a complete cost. Uh, at the end of the, just further on in Matthew 8, it says this. Um, this is Matthew 8, chapter 16. Um, now when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits of the word and healed all who were ill. This happened so that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet would be fulfilled. He himself took our illnesses and carried away our diseases. And I'm sure you, you probably recognize that, that quotation. That's a quotation from Isaiah 55. And I'm just going to read a, bit, a little bit more of that, um, Isaiah 55. Again, if you've never read Isaiah 55, you can go home now and read it. Because <laughs> don't listen to me. But, but uh, this is what... Um, just a bit more from Isaiah 55, 53, which just reminds us that Jesus' compassion came at a cost to him. Um, so it says this, For who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like, had a, root, like a root out of dry ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we would look at him, not an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. He was despised and abandoned by men, a man of great pain, and familiar with sickness, and like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we had no regard for him. However, it was our sicknesses that he himself bore, and our pains that he carried. Yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God and humiliated, that he was pierced for our offenses, he was crushed for our wrongdoings, the punishment for our well-being was laid upon him, and by his wounds we are healed." So the compassion that Jesus shows us came at a cost. He's not like some magician going around kind of sprinkling compassion dust around the place, making everything better uh, necessarily. Um, his compassion came at the cost of his life, at the cost of his blood poured out, um, at the cost of a perfect life nailed to a cross. That's what it cost him um, to show us compassion. But as a result... Uh, he is ready and willing to be compassionate to us in totality. 
So, do you know that Jesus, who is God himself, um, wants to pour out his compassion on you and your situation? He's not cautious. He's not um, wanting to hold back um, or restrained in his compassion to us. There's nothing, actually, he would rather do than be compassionate to you. We can never do any better ourselves. And I think it's important to get this right so we don't, we're not kind of seeking in other places for our fulfillment. Um, somebody says this, that perhaps Satan's greatest, greatest victory in, a, in our lives today is not the sin that we regularly get entangled with, but the dark thoughts of God's heart um, that cause us to go there in the first place and keep us cool towards him in the wake of it. Um, but we don't want to do that, do we? We want to allow Jesus to um, do what he does, what he wants to do, and we want to allow, allow him to draw close, um, even or especially because of our sin and our brokenness and suffering. Um, that's what he wants to do, to show us compassion. So, shall we um, let him do that? Uh, why don't we just have a bit of space to let, let him do that? Why don't you, would you like to, to stand and we will, we will pray as we, as we usually, um, as we do. And uh, I'll ask the, the band to come back as well as we, as we head, towards, head towards some worship. But let's just, just, just pray now and um, pray for the Holy Spirit to come. So we just say, Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. And um, may your presence be here, the very presence of Jesus, who is God himself. Would you um, be present? We know you're already present, but just be especially present, I pray, with each of us um, in the way we need you tonight, Lord God. I just pray for uh, just a fresh revelation of God's compassionate heart for you in your situation, whatever that might be. May you just receive an assurance of his um, goodness to you, his goodwill towards you, his compassion for you. Uh, Just maybe just receive that, ask him for that fresh revelation. And if you, do, if you do have specific um, needs, why don't you just um, offer those to him again? Um, offer those to him again and just, just lift up your needs to him, whatever they may be. And just remember his, remember his cross. Remember that uh, he died for you that his, his compassion came at a cost. But that's been paid. So there's no need to, there's no need to wait. There's no need to hold back uh, either for us or for him. Uh, he's ready and willing to show you compassion and love and all you need in him.